0: Welcome to Equinox, where Rob and I are striking the balance between the light and the dark. This is episode 58. My name is Joseph Darnell, and I'm joined by the doctor, the man himself, Robert Carter. Hello, Rob.
1: I'm looking at this website that's describing uh, how you can buy a lightsaber, and I can't <laughs> take my eyes off of it. Oh, hey, everybody. How you doing?
0: <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, close the tab over there, Rob. <laughs> Well, you got a podcast to do over here, <laughs> and it's not very visual. Hey, if you ha- could pick a lightsaber for yourself, what color would you go with?
1: My color would be, I don't know. I never thought of this white. I would like a white lightsaber. No, teal, but that'd be, that'd be too w- wimpy. Red would be like, mm. yeah, but how about, how about, okay, some awesome forest green. Oh, Because no one else would ever do that. Nice. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, that'd be me. all right, all right, all right. <clears throat> I was trying to think of something marine biology like.
0: If I could pick the color, I would go with amethyst.
1: Amethyst. Ooh. Yeah. What color is an amethyst? Purpley. Purple. Oh, yes, of course, of course. I knew that. I knew that. Kind of a
0: hint of magenta.
1: I always get lost in, oh, you in doing? minerals. I'm actually doing great. Sweet. Better than This not has done. been
0: a really nice day.
1: I've had like like the most bang up week at work ever. I, I literally wrote more articles this week than I ever have in a similar period of time in wow. like twelve or fifteen years of working at CMI. Do you and have I, any I,
0: idea how many articles you've written? No. Okay. Mo- but you've written the, for all the magazines and the website too, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the Journal of Creation. I tried for a long time. I tried to get an article in the Journal of Creation on each issue. And that's a lot of work because that's, you got to do research. You write a computer program for me and then do a bunch of calculations, make a bunch of graphs, then do some research on how to, you know, write the background and then it has to get reviewed. And, you know, one of my papers one time, I thought that was the best paper ever. And the reviewer said... Who is this guy? He sounds like an evolutionist.
0: (laughs) Oh oh dear!
1: And oh, I read his comment, and I look at what I said, and I was like, "Wow, yeah, he's right." I was thinking like an evolutionist, and wow, this is so. I just tabled that whole project after you know weeks of work. I was just totally wrong about the way I was approaching it.
0: See, as someone like me, a layperson, may not even come across that point of view because it just sounds like science to us. I remember a good. Sunday school class teacher. He wasn't a scientist, but he pointed out that we take for granted all these things to be scientific, but they really are just part of the evolutionary theory. Yep. And he began the class by getting everyone to take a quiz of 30 questions to see what we knew about science. And they didn't seem to have anything to do with evolution directly, but it would show that we were thinking evolutionarily and he'd say, if you said A or B on the thing, then you're the crowd that is mostly
1: thinking for the evolutionary worldview, you know. I gave a, a talk at a school a number of years ago, and I don't remember exactly what the question was. Oh yeah, it was a uh, dead dinosaur falls into the water and dies, and he sinks to the bottom, and his bones are lying on the floor, and he's slowly buried and slowly petrified. And millions of years later, plate tectonics lifts these rocks up, and erosion exposes a dead dinosaur and it's, you know, a, it's rock, it's fossil. And I asked the kids, how many of you think this is the way fossils are made? Every single kid raised their hand. Mm. And I looked at the teacher standing on the back wall. I said, teachers, you got your work cut out for you because every single one of your children believes in evolution. Oh. They might oh, not realize terrible. it yet, but this is an absolute, this is a completely evolutionary story and they had no problem accepting it. <laughs> so, wow, that was an illustration. Good point. Yeah.
0: Well, let's move into one of the side topics for today. This yeah. is an interesting story that you found. Meet the Appalachian apple hunter who rescued a thousand lost varieties.
1: Yeah. We don't have many apples in our grocery stores today. That's a good point. And the apples that we have are all the same exact size. Like I've been counting because now that apple prices, I mean, $5 for three pounds of apples. That's nuts. Yeah. And I'm counting. There's seven apples in the bag. I'm not going to pay a dollar per apple, but I'm going to be soon because the prices <laughs> are keep going up. And so, you know, I'm counting the number of apples in a bag. It's like all these bags have the same number. I want the smaller apples because, you know, the big apples, I get tired of eating them before I'm done. And a yeah. small apple, <laughs> I get more apples per bag so I can, you know, space it out over a longer time and eat one apple. But our, our varieties today, they are all shippable. They don't bruise easily, they don't dry out quickly. They all ripen at the same time on the tree so it can be picked quickly, etc.
0: Yeah, so they are basically homogenized. For they're homogenized the
1: grocery store. And some of them taste better than others. I used to love red deliciouses, but you know, pink ladies and ambrosia, you know, they're they're better yes. tasting apples now. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, there were so many different varieties of apples. I mean thousands of them. Every, everywhere you went, a, an apple tree would have a different variety of apple. Sheesh. And this was centuries of work to do this. There weren't, you know, apple stands the, half the size of the state of Washington. Not that They're that big, but there are giant forests of apple trees that are all trellised out all over the Pacific Northwest. It's actually really amazing. There's some big ones in Georgia too. I mean, you've been up to Mercier Orchards. I love that place. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. It's a great experience. But that didn't exist 100 years ago. All the apples that we have were, well, how do you say it? If you plant a thousand apple trees, almost none of them are any good. Wow, really? If you grow, if you grow them from, from seed, but every once in a while from seed, you'll get a good one, and that's when you cultivate. And apples look like they derive from the Middle East. In fact, the mountains north of Iraq, which really? <clears throat> is pretty close to where the gar- where the uh, I almost said that. I can't believe that where the uh, Noah's flood landed, where man first lived. Huh. But they don't, those apples don't look like our modern apples. They look more like crab apples. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I, I don't know if I ever said this on a show before. And, and one of these mm-hmm. family members is listening. I'm going to laugh, but forgive me. But I'm still going to laugh because it's one of the funniest things ever. In fact, you know, you know this family, I believe. At least you know people who know this family. Okay. I was sitting there after church one day talking to these people, and I'm, I'm laughing about Johnny Appleseed. Why? Because he went all over the United States planting apples from seed.
0: Yeah, patron saint of apples.
1: But apples, when grown from seed, almost always make crab apples. Oh, really? Which are only good for making apple cider. Oh, no. And so, I laughed. I said, Johnny Appleseed was making America drunk. What? And I laughed and laughed wow. and laughed. And later on, someone said, Rob, that family are teetotalers. <laughs> 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 <Whoops>. <laughs> and they're descended from Johnny Appleseed.
0: Oh! Oh! <laughs> Oh my word!
1: Incredible. So, a family that starts with a C, you know who you are. I'm sorry if I'm laughing, but I, that was one of the, the worst faux pas social mistakes i would ever made in my
0: life. <laughs> and I was totally oblivious to it. Yeah, you found one of those very rare specimens
1: right there. <laughs> <laughs> but there are so many different apple varieties around the world. And so, what this guy did was he went and he searched historical records and old farm stands and talked to a bunch of old people and he enlisted help with a couple of volunteer friends. And they went around finding old apples and cultivating them. Now, again, most of these varieties are going to be no good for the grocery store. Mm. You, know, you pick them off your tree and you eat them. They're not going to store in a barrel for a week or a month. They bruise too easily. Hmm. They might not be consistent in their flavor. But some of them are going to have flavors that are way different than any apple we've tasted.
0: Yeah, so from the picture at the top of the article, they got names like the Yellow Pots, Carolina Beauty, Granny Rogers, Horse, horse? <laughs> Grand horse. Mommy Cheese, Red <laughs> Wine, Dixie Sweet, Soda, Red Pippin, dude, Oat, just
1: Oat. Oh, I apple. like soda, soda apple. That means like baking soda apple? What? I, it good? I can see an apple is it, tasting is like it, is it, you know, fizzy tasting, perky? Oh, yeah. Maybe the juice coming out of the apple. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of heirloom apples. You know, the the trees are hard to keep because they get kind of moldy and they break. But some of them have lasted for 100 years in an abandoned farm and it's all overgrown. That's now a forest. There's a tree still there. So this guy went and found them. I think that's amazing, cool, fun, good on him. And maybe this will uh, result in some interesting new apple varieties in the future.
0: Fantastic story. You ought to check out the article if you want to get that. It's in the link's show notes for this episode. Yeah. Then we have the story that um, there's a major scientific leap quantum microscope created that can see the impossible. This is incredible.
1: On a very recent show, we were talking about quantum effects. We're talking about...
0: What is the quantum realm, you know?
1: Yeah, Yeah. but we're talking about how you can get two photons that are linked together. And when you Destroy one photon, the other one instantly disappears.
0: That was just the last episode.
1: Yeah, it was. You put them in two fiber optic cables going in opposite directions, and whatever happens to one will happen to the other, even if they're miles apart, and it happens faster than the speed of light. As far as we know, instantaneous, and it's just bizarre. So, some effect that I never would have thought of, these people are using the effects to make better microscopes. Because right now, if you want to image something really small, you need a microscope that's like a million times brighter than the sun. And biological things don't like that. So you have to maybe flash it really quickly. Flash! Which means you can't, you know, look at this thing over time. You just had one instantaneous flash. You might have just fried your sample. But by using photons that are coupled, I don't know how it works. The press release was not, or scitechdaily.com, the, the in, It's kind of more like a marketing tool than anything. And when they said, we've improved our resolution by 35%, I don't know if that means 35% better than a light microscope or their quantum microscope is 35% better than it was the other day. Right. Still making fuzzy images. I, I don't know what they meant. So it sounds like very incomplete work, but really cool. The idea that we'll be able to see smaller things, faster things, and we don't have to destroy the specimen by using super duper duper bright light to shine on it. So I'm looking forward to new uh, microscopic discoveries based on something like that. That's, that's just a cool idea.
0: Yeah. So the last piece of the puzzle was sensing, and we've now closed that gap. Yeah. Not every day there's a new kind of microscope
1: invented. No, and this one came out of the blue. I never, ever would have expected to use this idea for microscopes. What? So, but there's some smart people in the world. Yep.
0: Then there is, okay, this is a right up your alley. The oh, Turk's sure enraged <laughs> as Ancestry.com reveals the truth. Most of them are Greeks. What?
1: Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So this is uh, geography, genealogy, genetics, uh, personal genetics, biblical history, uh, world history. There's all these different things that are, that are coming into play here to make a very interesting story. So Turkey, the country is named after the Turks, which are a tribe that used to live in Asia, like north of the Caspian and Black Seas. This tribe invaded southwest and took over Anatolia, which we now call Turkey. And, well, there used to be people that lived there. I mean, you've heard of the biblical book of Galatians? Well, the Galatians were from Gaul. The Galatians were a Celtic tribe that one of the leaders in that area centuries before had invited to come in and help him fight some enemies, and they came with their families and never left. Hence, the biblical book of Galatians. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, we know that there's these Northwestern European peoples that moved in, but this whole area was Greek city-state. I mean, the the Greeks, they, they, they populated all around the Black Sea. There was Greek city after Greek city after Greek city, all around the Black Sea. They made it into the inland of Anatolia. Asia Minor also is another name for it, around the Mediterranean coast. There's a lot of Greek influence here. And then the Turks came, and it's the age-old question. Question, Same question we ask in Indi- in, sorry, India, in England, the same question we ask in Scandinavia, same question we ask in Germany, France, Spain. When new people came in, did they kill off the originals and take their land? Did they merge with the individual in that population, or was it just a small ruling class that took over, like in India, and in England, and apparently in Turkey? (laughs) The modern Turks, most of them are Greek, and for (laughs) some strange reason, including the president of Turkey, but a lot of people are mad. I I don't think necessarily it's racism against Greek people, because if you look at the Muslim world, Islam is not a, a race—it's not a culture group. All sorts of different people have become Muslims. I mean, Indonesia, right. uh, up into the Caucasus Mountains, where you know the Caucasians—you know, white people—I um, hate that word—but the Caucasians uh, can be Muslim. West Africans, South Africans, North Africans, Middle Easterners. So, Islam is not a race. Yet, I think the problem that they that they're coming out with now is the assumption that a lot of people trace back to Muhammad Oh. is yes, probably wrong. And probably the leaders of the country for centuries have been saying that they're descendants of Muhammad. Right. And it's probably not right. Now, I don't know if that's the reason or not, but I suspect that's what it is. I know a descendant of Muhammad. A friend of mine from grad school, I won't mention his name, but he has a you know, typical Islamic name. He was actually a, um, a doctor in the Iran-Iraq war. He was conscripted and forced to be a doctor at the border during his battles, and people were coming back with chemical burns from chemical weapons, and he was treating them. And then his family was on the wrong side when George H.W. Bush, George Bush I, when he said, hey, you Iraqis, raise up against Saddam, and they did, and then the U.S. never backed them, and those people got crushed. Well, this guy's family fled to the U.S. He is a descendant of Muhammad, and when he... Walks in places, Muslims will bow to him. Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So yeah, yeah,
0: cool stuff. Wow, fantastic story. Something's going on in Turkey, making people mad. And the article was also written by a Robert,
1: Robert Spencer. Robert. Yeah, check out the articles if you're interested, guys. You know what Robert means? No, I don't. Uh, Neither do I. He's absolutely nothing. What? For real? It's like Egbert. You know, there's lots of Berts in the world. It's just an old... Old European sort of name, probably Celtic of some More sort used something Bert Egbert, Robert, Figbert, <laughs> Dilbert. You know
0: well, the last name Darnell is kind of like that story that in the Bible and elsewhere in ancient times, it was the name of a kind of weed. Oh, but for a name it, in its naming lineage, there has been some explanation that L in Darnell means God is. But the other part, dar, darn, is unknown what it means, except darn you. Yep. Yep. Nobody really knows what it means. So it means God is something. It fill in the blank, and we don't know what the blank is.
1: Lost to time. I used to think that the carters were cart makers, cart builders. I'm like, yeah, we're the automotive engineers of the medieval world. Uh." But no, (laughs) it it means cart driver. Mm. Oh, yeah, we're the long-haul truckers of the medieval world. Oh, well. <laughs> no slamming on you, long-haul truckers. You guys are awesome. I know many, but it wasn't quite as, you know, thinking that my guys were making Lamborghinis. No, no, you're no, we no. just following behind the back end of a cow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did hear the other day that originally the Lamborghini company started in farming equipment or tractors or something like that. Can you believe it?
1: Dude, I want a Lamborghini tractor, man.
0: With some racing stripes and (laughs) yellow body paint, that'd be amazing. Just call me
1: Farm Boss. Low profile. (laughs) Super fast. Vroom, vroom, vroom. (laughs) Red. It has gold doors. (laughs) I think we should move on to our topic, Joe. We're getting off topic here. (laughs)
0: This topic couldn't be any more exciting than Lamborghinis. I don't think it can get better than this. You wanted to talk about lasers.
1: I have wanted to talk about lasers since we started this show over a year ago. Finally, going to be able to talk about one of the weirdest, most enigmatic, and most important inventions in the last half century.
0: Okay, so can I give you my first impressions before you explain the ins and outs of the real scientific approach? Yeah, Everything I know is informed by science fiction. We could have also said that the tagline of the show was everything that was wrong about science fiction that you watched growing up.
1: Turbo kit. And all of a sudden the car jumps up in the air. Wait, turbo means fast. It doesn't mean fly through the air over that rampy thing. Anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So lasers were this thing that sounds like. And stormtroopers introduced them to me. And they were slaughtering rebels.
1: Those are blasters. Those aren't lasers. For
0: real, though? Uh, Isn't that a technicality? What would a blaster be shooting out?
1: Well, no, because a blaster beam travels slower than the speed of light. You would never see it coming. Oh, Ah, huh. uh, it's more like a particle blaster or something like that.
0: Wait, are you messing with me? Is are you getting technical with science no, fiction, or is this?
1: No, oh no, no, no. Yeah, I am actually. <laughs> I think most people think blaster means laser blaster, but clearly, because George Lucas, you can see the things flying through the air. That's not a laser. Wild.
0: Okay, I did not know this. So, are you going to tell me that Star Trek is where the real
1: laser guns are used? Uh, no, 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 no. Those are those are phasers.
0: All right, as long as we're all even here. If Star Wars can't have them, Star Trek can't have them either.
1: Set the phasers on stun. No, they can't. Hmm. I'm not sure what a phaser is. I think there's a technical scientific definition of phaser, and I'm sure the the people who know right now like Rob, you dummy, this is what it is. But yeah, whatever. I don't know what it is.
0: So everything I thought I knew about lasers has just been blown to smithereens because I thought they were the guns in Star Wars.
1: Nope. Oh, but wait a second. I'm thinking back to 1960s (laughs) Star Trek those things shot out a beam that that held the beam right yeah 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 it's much more laser like
0: oh okay
1: of course they kind of had to cheat because they
0: had to keep their hands super still to keep that beam all straight <laughs> yeah i guess so
1: all right so what do you think a laser is i'm asking i'm asking this for the sake of posterity because most people listening don't mm-hmm. know yeah in fact for a long time i didn't know either of course. After you know, years of inquisitiveness, I just said, what on earth is this? And why is this so important? Well, people are born every day who don't know what lasers are. And oh, it's one color. Big deal. What, what is the big deal? And so I had to put two and two together before I realized, whoa, this is not what I thought. And it's really important. So what do you think a laser is?
0: I, I think that um, there's really focused light beams. Like they, okay. the angle of a prism is concentrating the angular... Direction of light to a fine point, and then it comes out as a concentrated beam of light eventually that will spread out, out out at a great distance, hopefully, to make the laser any good to the person who wants to create the laser. Okay. But other than that, I, I can't really say besides laser eye you know, surgery what it would oh, be yes. really good
1: for. Okay. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Could you make a laser with visible light? I would have assumed yes. Full spectrum light. Yes. Okay. The answer is no, but Hmm. that's a good guess. One of the biggest problems that we have with microscopes and telescopes and even eyeglasses is that different wavelengths of light bend more or less as they pass through glass. So if you're trying to use a lens to focus light, the red and the blue focus in different places. So we had this massive problem in, in optics, and that is that light bends at different amounts Depending on its wavelength, this is why rainbows exist. This is why prisms make, ra- make rainbows. We get to see the spectrum in a prism because blue bends more than red, and so it separates it. It diffracts as it's going through glass. Nice.: Well, that means that you can't make a laser with a wide spectrum, because you'll never be able to focus it. You'll never be able to collimate it. You'll never be able to get that beam manageable. One color is going to do one thing, and another color is going to do another thing. You can get multispectral lasers, that's different, as long as they're at intervals of, of some frequency. But in general, one color, when I say one color, I mean one very specific color of light is coming out of a laser. Huh. I mean, the wavelength is tight. Some will have a little wider, some a little smaller, but we're talking a really tight wavelength. But that's not what white light is like. White light is like all different wavelengths and they're going all different directions and all different polarization directions. Okay, in audio stuff, you, you're aware of audio stuff, you're an audiophile.
0: Well, I wouldn't call myself an audiophile, but
1: I'm up there. Okay, but you know that if you go into a concert hall, there might be a dead spot, like you don't want that seat. Right. Because like maybe the high C is reflecting off the back and off the right wall, and they come together and that seat right there in constructive interference. Actually, the sound, you can't hear that note in that spot. That's right. Okay. Well, constructive interference is caused by two waves that aren't coherent. They're, they're hitting the peaks and the troughs are opposite. And they're literally canceling themselves. You could literally shine light at, at right angles, two, two different light beams at right angles to each other. And when they hit each other, they disappear. But when they pass through each other, they reappear again. Wow. Just like um, when you're surfing or when you're on the water. You're looking for waves that are diffracting off a sandbar and coming together in a V-shape. And where they come together in a V-shape, you get a, a wave that's twice as big because the two waves add to each other. Man, that's where you want to go. So, the trough and the peak are larger when they're, they're hitting each other. But you can theoretically cancel out a wave too. The problem is if they're going in the opposite direction, they only cancel out for a second. Standing waves are like this. You can get like if you pluck a guitar string or if you pluck a violin string, it will oscillate either half wavelength or a full wavelength, and there'll be places on that string that actually aren't moving because the wave traveling down reflects off one end and comes back again, and the wavelengths are the same, and so you get this constructive-destructive interference pattern. So it's really fascinating, cool, and amazing, and you will always get that if you have multiple wavelengths, and you can even do it when you have the same wavelength. You could put one laser in one direction and have a laser in the other direction, and if you have it exactly right, the two beams will completely cancel each other out you will not see any light there. But the most (laughs) bizarre thing is when they do diverge, they'll reappear. (laughs) So, sound waves go through each other, water waves go through each other, and light waves go through each other. Even if they're interfering with one another, when they come out the other side, it's like that nothing ever happened. Did not see that coming. So, when we're talking about lasers, we have to, well, let's talk about first, who invented the laser? Probably Albert Einstein. In 1917, he laid down the theoretical framework for lasers, which is light emission from atoms. And then people said, oh, if that's true, then you should be able to do X, Y, and Z. Over the next 40 or 50 years, they started putting things together. By the 1950s, they had masers, which is microwave (laughs) amplification by stimulation of radiation.
0: This doesn't sound nearly as impressive as laser. The word laser is so cool.
1: Yes, but a maser is a laser. It's just a microwave laser. Because microwaves are light, they're just long wavelength light. And so, they had these things called masers. And then in 1960, lots of competition, everyone was trying it. Some guy at the Hughes Laboratory, you know, Hughes, the the crazy guy, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Howard. And the aviator, yeah, that Hughes, Howard Hughes. In Hughes Laboratory, this guy finally did it. What he did, and see, oh boy, where do you go? How do you explain this? There's so many different directions to go, which is, makes this really cool. I don't want to describe how a laser is built. I want to go to, and actually in the notes, so the second page, the top of the second page is a really weird diagram. Looking at it. I remember the first time I saw something like this, I was in my PhD program, and I, it, was, it was new to me. I was like, what? Huh? And it, it took me a while to even accept that this is even true. But since we've talked about atoms and electrons and orbital levels, maybe the audience will get this. If you shine light on an atom, sometimes the electron can grab the energy from that light and that'll pop that electron up to a higher energy orbital. Okay. It, that's not its normal place. It's only there when it's in an excited state. It's going to let that energy go and drop back down to where it was before. And re-release the photon. Oh, okay. But the energy coming out equals the difference between those two energy levels. So, you can shine white light on an atom and only one color comes out.
0: Oh, okay.
1: It filter, It ignores, ignores all the wavelengths it doesn't want, but that one wavelength that stimulates that transition, it'll grab that mm-hmm. photon, pop up, and then fall back down and re-release the photon. So, you can stimulate a bunch of atoms to only release one color of light using dirty light. That is remarkable. Yeah. You can filter out all the other frequencies, ignore them, and you only get one. Now that's incredibly inefficient because 99.99 whatever percent of your light is being wasted. But you do get that color coming back out. That's one sort of way to, to make a beginning form of a laser.
0: So just to clarify, the one light color that comes out, would that be
1: a laser?
0: No. Or is it less than a laser?
1: Much less than a laser. Okay. We're talking about uh, phosphorescent paints and fluorescent dyes. Oh, okay. And corals that glow in the dark. My PhD dissertation. Yeah. The green fluorescent protein. Now, corals do not glow in the dark. Some jellyfish do. But a coral is fluorescent. It's not phosphorescent and it's not bioluminescent. These are all different ideas. Um, you know the, the stick-on stars you put on your ceiling are glow-in-the-dark shirts and things like that?
0: Yeah, love those. In our house growing up, my dad had them in his house.
1: Cool. That's called phosphorescence. That is, a pigment will absorb a photon and hold on to it for a long time and then re-release it slowly. And phosphorescence is never bright. It's always really dim because it's a long process. The um, photon that's absorbed, because of the second law of thermodynamics, you always lose a little bit of energy and everything. So it absorbs a photon, and then when it re-releases it, it actually is coming out at a lower energy level, and the energy difference is lost as heat. Okay, fine. That, that's kind of here nor there. But for fluorescence, like fluorescent dyes, or corals that are fluorescent, they're green. But they're not actually green. What happens is there's a molecule, a protein, that absorbs a photon of red light. It boosts that electron up to a higher energy level, and it drops back down again. Sorry, of blue light. Duh going the wrong direction. It loses a little bit of energy as heat, and when it comes back down, the light that comes out is now green. There are other pigments that might absorb green light, and it'll boost up an electron to a higher energy level, lose a little bit of energy, comes out as heat, and when that green light photon comes back out, it's now red. So, you're always shifting toward the lower energy level. You go from blue to green or green to red. That's fluorescence. And it happens in milliseconds. Phosphorescence is just long-term fluorescence. It happens over minutes or hours sometimes. But fluorescence is almost instantaneous. It's just atoms grabbing a photon, electrons popping up to higher energy level, and then falling back down again and re-releasing the photon plus a little bit of heat. So the photon changes color. We okay with that so far? Yeah. I mean, that to me was like like from Mars. Like, what on earth is this? I had no concept of this at all. And I was in my 30s probably, maybe my late 20s when I first heard about this. So I was a little behind the scenes, but that's what we're talking about now when we're talking about lasers. Now, here's what you do. You take a gas, you put it in a cylinder so it can't escape, you put a mirror at one end, and you put a partial mirror at the other end. I'll explain the mirrors in a second. Now, you can shine light on it, which is a waste of time, a waste of energy, or you can send electricity through it because electricity is energy and you can stimulate these atoms much more efficiently. You're not wasting all this, photo, you're actually putting just the right precise voltage on this tube so those atoms will maximally absorb the energy. The electrons pop up and they fall down. They pop up, they fall down. They pop up, they fall down. They pop up, they fall down. And you just took electrical energy and converted it into photons. That is weird in itself. Yeah. You, I mean, you took... Electricity in a wire and converted it into light with a high efficiency.
0: What?
1: Yeah. But because we're only talking about a single transition, you, you have a pure atom in there, pure gas maybe like helium neon mixture. And the neon is the thing that's glowing. Well, there's only one electron in the neon that's absorbing that frequency. It's popping up and dropping down. It's only releasing 632. Point something nanometer red light only. Wow. And that's the magic. Every other light source before this was multispectral. But now we can do a single frequency and a very tight frequency because we're not, I mean, we're stimulating atoms and electron orbital levels. This is Einstein's brilliant idea. 50 years later comes to fruition and we get a red laser for the first time ever. I remember the hunt for the blue laser. I don't remember when it was, but it was the 1990s, I think, before blue lasers were invented. When did the, blue, the, laser da- uh, the, the Blu-ray player come out?
0: Oh, I don't recall, but I want to say
1: that it was around 2000. Okay, that was after they invented the blue laser. And the reason Blu-ray is a Blu-ray is because it uses a blue laser, which is a smaller wavelength, which means you can focus it to a tighter spot and you can put more digital bits on a disc than you can with a CD, which is a red laser.
0: I was correct. Yeah, Sony unveiled the first Blu-ray disc prototypes in October 2000.
1: You are the man. Okay, well that was a really quickly after they invented blue laser and figured out how to mass produce them. They come out with this thing and the, the, the reason for that is you can make a smaller spot. So you can spore, store more digital bits on a disc. Cool. Yeah. Maybe you want to get to this later in the show. What do you know about holographic images? Oh, I've made them. <laughs>
0: okay, so does that kind of wavelength of light have anything to do with any of this?
1: Absolutely. When I was, in, um, when I was teaching high school, the physics teacher, the, I, I always taught physics labs and AP biology, but only physics labs. But the AP, biology, AP physics teacher and the physics teacher, every year she set up a hologram producing laboratory. We took an inner tube, like a big fat like float down the river type of inner tube. On top of that, we put a marble slab, so it's heavy but bouncy. And on top of that, we would put an object we wanted to make a hologram out of. And we had a laser and a mirror, and it would pass through a glass slide that we would have to develop like a photograph. So we'd put it in the, in the solutions, blah 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 blah, in a totally dark room. And it's funny because the students always had trouble with this. You had a card in front of your laser light. You'd lift it up, count to five, put the card down. And then we turn off the laser. And in the dark, feeling around, we take the glass, drop it in the developer, and drop it in the fixer. And maybe one out of 10, some years better, some years are worse. But you would see a three-dimensional object in that piece of glass. And you could move it and see it in different dimensions. I mean, it was 3D looking. Awesome. I love holographic images. Me, Me too. I still don't exactly know how it works, but it has to do with... The light going down, hitting an object, and then bouncing back up, and it makes an interference pattern. So if it if the distance between the emulsion and the object is an interval of the wavelength, you'll get a constructive bright spot. If it's a half of a wavelength off, you'll get a deconstructive dark spot. And so you're literally, this image is based on the wavelength of that red laser. And that's the resolution you could get. Nanometers. The difference between a line and a knot line would be, you know, 700 nanometers in this 3D structure. Ah, craziness. But I still don't know why it makes an image you can tilt. But I remember the first time I saw one, I think it was on National Geographic in the 70s, an eagle or something like that on the front. Oh, and then a little while later, they had a big skull, maybe two inches by two inches. And everyone who had National Geographic got this, this 3D skull thing cool weird stuff.
0: Back in the 90s, I was young and for baseball season, there were uh, collectible cards, holographic cards that the Denny's diners would sell once a year during baseball season. And You could collect them and they had the animated movement. So if you just tilted it one way or the other, the holographic image would also change to show a video clip of a baseball game, somebody catching a flat ball or an incredible home run hit or something like that.
1: Now, you're not talking about one of those, those plastic things with the ridges. No, that's I'm not. It's just a whole bunch of little prisms that you turn it. you see three pictures. Right. Hologram. Holograms are cool. I still don't understand them, but they're cool. All right. Let's talk about how to make this laser light. Yes. Okay. So, you have – it could be a liquid. It could be a gas. It could be, be a lot of different things. You can laze – I love that. They made, a, they made a verb out of this. You can laze a lot of different things. But typically, it's a gas. Usually two different gases, one that's just I don't know, the one that is, is just helping things along and one is actually doing the lasing. And you put some energy into this tube of gas. It could be light energy, it could be electrical energy. Typically it's electrical energy. That causes these electrons on these atoms to be stimulated and they pop up to higher energy level and they fall down again and release some light in all directions. But the light that bounces off the mirror at one end comes back again. <laughs> And if it strikes an atom that's in a, mm, an electron that's in an excited state, it knocks it out of the excited state in the same exact direction that the first photon was traveling with the same polarization. So, they're in phase. And then it bounces off the other mirror, these two photons, they come back. And if they hit any photon, in, any electron in there in an excited state, it knocks them off their perch. And now all these photons are in phase and they're polarized together and they bounce off the other mirror, and they bounce back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and they're doing a dance together, and they're all together. And then the other mirror, though, is not a perfect mirror. Usually, it's a partial mirror. So, some of those photons will leak out one end of the laser cavity. So, you need the two mirrors to keep on knocking these electrons off their perch in sync. That's the key. They have to be in sync. They have to be together and then when the light comes out, it's one single wave. All the photons are oscillating in exactly the same direction at the same time. It's a perfectly collimated, perfectly together. I'm trying not to use the big words. I'm reading all this, trying to get ready for this. And I was reading a bunch of words I didn't understand. <laughs> and then I would look up the word, I was like, okay, I can't, I know I got it, but I can't say that. <laughs> but they're, they're coherent and they're collimated, which means that there's no destructive interference anywhere. And if you put it through a lens, all those photons bend in exactly the same way. So, you can focus it down to a very small point. Now, a lot of our our laser things are based off of laser diodes, which don't produce really well-collimated light, but you can put a lens in front of it, like a laser pointer. That's a cheese wad laser with a lens that focuses it so you get a straight line. Now, it's not perfectly straight because the lens isn't that good. It's a cheap old lens. That's why your laser pointer from across the room makes a bigger spot than it does when you're close up. Better lens, you could have a better point. Now, there's a limit to it. Because light does diffract no matter what you do, especially when you're in air. It hits air molecules and bends all over the place. But in space, a, a laser can go a long way. I mean, between here and the moon, you can get a, a laser that's only as wide as the moon by the time it hits the moon. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, that sounds like, well, that's, you know, that's an awfully wide beam. Yeah. But yeah, but it's, it's still, you could never do that with a flashlight.
0: Oh, that's true, wow. It's
1: literally Im- impossible because the, l- the blue light and the red light and all the other colors in between are going to diffract at different amounts when they're going through the lens. And that's a laser. That's what it is. It's a gas cavity usually with a, a mirror and a half a mirror and electrons that are being stimulated by some energy source to release a very specific wavelength of light. Now, some lasers do release multiple colors of light. Some of them are intervals of one another. You can also do mixed gas lasers that can do different frequencies at the same time. So you can do all sorts of weird things with lasers now. And now we have all these different colors of lasers and we're not limited anymore. In fact, there are some lasers you can tune the laser. I saw one in the lab once. You know, you put a dial and it'll put out different colors of light depending on where the dial is. I don't know how that worked, but it was amazing. Another thing we did a lot in this lab, we did interferometry as an interference-ometry. (laughs) <laughs> this is the Michelson Morley experiment, where they took an interferometer and pointed it in different directions and figured out the light speed's the same no matter which way they pointed it. But with a laser, it's easier than with any sort of light source that they had in the 1800s. And what you can do is you can put a laser on a table and put it through a beam splitter. So the laser beam, is a, which is a partial mirror. So if some of the light reflects at a right angle to the left and some of it goes straight, and that both of those will reflect off a mirror and come back, to that beam splitter, the one that went straight will come back, some of that will reflect off the beam splitter, splitter now go to the right, and the other stuff that was split comes back, hits the beam splitter and goes through it, and now we have two different light beams that were split and came back together again. Wow. And, f- and you project <laughs> that onto a wall, it'll make a, a bunch of rings, an interference pattern. Wow, nice. But if you move one of the mirrors, you change the distance that the light beam has been going, And you have changed the interference pattern. If you move one of those mirrors by half a wavelength, all the peaks and troughs that you're projecting on the wall will flip. So you can literally measure things that are nanometers in size. Wow. This is how we measure the distance to the moon because the Apollo astronauts left a corner reflector on the moon. Now, granted, you know, very powerful laser at a very specific frequency frequency that can go through the atmosphere, go through space hit this mirror, bounce back, and you can still see it. You're only getting a couple of photons back. But through interferometry, you can literally measure the moon as it moves away from the earth. Wow. Not just one measurement. Oh, look at that, it's now this many nanometers away. Oh no, now it's this many nanometers away. Oh no, it's this many nanometers away. And you can see it receding.
0: Nice, wow.
1: <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> it's just crazy.
1: Yeah. Lasers let us do all sorts of really cool and amazing things.
0: I just have one anecdote about lasers. Yeah. So when I was 19, 18, 19, I went to a uh, construction program. Yeah. And one of my crew, a guy, he was from Canada, Vancouver, Canada. And his dad was a salesman. He sold laser equipment for hospitals. Cool. And medical practitioners, like laser hair removal and LASIK eye surgery, things like that. Cool. And I don't personally understand what any of that looks like as I've never personally seen it. But my co-laborer was explaining to me that his dad was a big joker and he would carry these things around as he would travel, go into his clients. And one time he had to fly. So this was back before 9-11. Okay. But still, (laughs) he goes to the airport and he has this very serious looking kind of case carrying his laser equipment. Going through the security, they (laughs) saw the equipment and they were like, what is this stuff? So they said, excuse me, sir, we need to take you over here and you need to open up your case for us. And he thought to himself, ah, I roll, I'm going to be here forever, or there's going to be no big deal. But he, you know, he's a big practical joker and he just didn't care. And immediately he saw an opportunity and it was way too tempting for him. So he couldn't pass it up. He goes over to the table and they say, sir, would you please open up the case? And so, he acted very hesitantly. He acts like, okay, uh, And he looks one way or the other. And he really. gently, slowly reaches for the clasps, pops it open, and jumped back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't do that. That's when you get a full body cavity search and spend the night in jail, dude. Don't do that. <laughs> they jumped
0: on him and, yeah, hit him to the ground and he spent the whole night in questioning. <laughs> and they wanted to understand what these guns do. And when he said they were laser guns, that didn't help anything.
1: <laughs> oh, oh
0: that's terrible.
1: No, no, no. Do not joke around with the airport security, sir. No, no. Oh, that's funny. We got a good story out of it. All right. So you just mentioned um, eye surgery. Yes. Radio keratonomy and stuff like that.
0: I only found out just the other day that if you get that thing done, it can actually smell
1: <laughs> super gross. Uh, burning uh, proteins, smell like sulfur. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Why do they use lasers? Why don't they just use a, a, a heat gun or a beam of heat? Why laser?
0: I mean, because, because of my limited understanding and what you've explained here, it sounds like it won't hurt things they don't want it to hurt in your eyeball. But it gets the job done.
1: True, true. They can tune the, the wavelength to be specifically absorbed by one molecule, not others, maybe. Okay. Okay. But no, there's a, a really good reason for this. And that is they can focus it to a very fine point. Totally. Because there's only one wavelength they're dealing with. So it's literally a laser scalpel. Oh, wow. <laughs> and because of pulse width modification, things like that, you can get really short laser bursts. Um, they're they get, making laser bursts shorter and shorter and shorter. I'm talking about you know, femtosecond and less laser bursts. I don't know what they use in the eye surgery department, but it's like. Boop, 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 and they just. Really? See,
0: I assumed they would have done that. They don't go
1: and cut a, a circle around your eyeball. <laughs> and, but see, also, if it's focused at a point, that means anything beyond the point is out of focus. So you could take a, imagine an hourglass shaped beam. It comes down and it only cuts where it's focused. And when it spreads out again on the other side, it's not powerful enough to burn. So you're not burning the back of your eyeball. That is awesome. All sorts of cool things like that. So lasers, because they can, that's the whole thing. The reason these things are important is because you can focus them. That's why we use them. Yeah. And you can produce light of one color with a lot less energy than you could if you had a flashlight and put a blue filter on it. And so you're only getting blue out. Hmm. You're just wasting all that energy. I mean, we we can measure the moon. <laughs> we can cut eyeballs. Yeah. We can listen to music. We can have our groceries scanned at the grocery store. Yeah. I mean, what else can we use use uh, lasers for? Oh, lidar. Remember uh, one particular? Um, I spent a month in the Bahamas on a remote island diving all day long and night. Uh, it was a rough month. <laughs> anyway, um, well, I was on a research trip and they had a plane and it was a it was a really super slow, really clumsy-looking Russian plane. It's like, why they have such a slow plane? Well, was slow on purpose. And they had a LIDAR on there, which is like a radar, but with laser. And they were flying it really slowly over the water, and the laser light would go through the water, hit whatever's underneath, and bounce back up. And then you're able to literally radar through water. And they made a three-dimensional map of the reef structure. And now they're using that to like, you know, find hidden cities in the Amazon. Wow,
0: that's incredible.
1: Or, you know, doing this in, in, in Egypt. Yeah. They pretty much determined about 90% of Egypt is still under the sands.
0: Wow, that
1: is incredible. And you can just, you can see stuff and it's like, wait a second, there's a road, there's a, a pyramid, there's, you know, tombs and temples and things here, that, but we've never been able to see them because they're underneath 100 feet of sand. Oh, So lasers are pretty much the most utilitarian thing that we've ever invented. I mean, cops use them to detect our speed. Carpenters use them to cut wood on their saw or to measure the distance to a wall or height of something and on and on and on and on and on. So cool. Good show. Yes. Love that topic. Well, we're we're not done.
0: Really? You're going to tell me what's better than one laser? two lasers.
1: <laughs> no, what's better than a laser is a lightsaber, dude. <laughs> yes. All right, let's talk about it. All right, well, I think you're going to know more about the subject than I do. <laughs>
0: it's totally fiction is what you're saying.
1: In Star Wars, what's a lightsaber?
0: It is the idea that you are creating a light beam blade and it has matter enough to it that it'll actually bounce off of another lightsaber or theoretically light laser you know light laser beams would bounce off of it
1: yeah but remember light's a wave mhm and light waves pass through each other
0: that's right so <laughs> <laughs> with a little finagling of fantasy science fiction the idea was that it is produced by crystals and power in the hilt and then it only goes out as long as you want the blade to go so if you were a smaller say, Jedi Master like Yoda, maybe your lightsaber is much smaller for your stature. And then if you're a taller guy like Darth Vader, you have an extra long blade because you're a tall guy anyway. So your blade is longer than everybody else's. <laughs> and then they this went and messed with it a whole lot in the last trilogy because Kylo Ren has one that like sparks and jitters and crackles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very fascinating look but <sighs> how any of this stuff should make any sense is beyond all no reason
1: yes second set of movies came out oh count dooku has a curved handle oh you know they're trying to really
0: right curved handle but not curved blade
1: well that's funny yes it's true they're trying to you know do everything they could with a lightsaber and then they had the one that, that sparks and fizzes and it's wobbly it's very odd anyway
0: and then if you were watching the mandalorian they've also introduced to this idea of the dark saber who knows what the heck that means but it's uh, a flat edged sort of blade and it pr- is produced by dark matter plus anti light <laughs> who knows black light
1: well okay if you can do photons you anti photons okay
0: that's what it looks like
1: well, any, anyway it is possible trying not to even say it but it is potentially possible maybe even plausible that you could get a magnetically contained plasma that you could have on a handle and swing. Now, would that be hard enough to bounce off another one? I don't know. Sounds like they go splat. But in some magnetic containment sort of field way, you could theoretically do that. And it would release a lot of light. And you would call it a lightsaber. But if you just had a light beam, it's hopeless. It cannot work that way. Not even possibly. Now, there is a guy on YouTube who is making lightsabers. And they cut And they'll cut just about anything, and it's amazing.
0: Oh, and they're super hot. (laughs) Yes, because that's a family. Basically, Star Wars lightsabers are not bristling with heat.
1: Yes, a metal rod that he runs lots of electricity through and makes it white hot.
0: Kind of looks like a lightsaber.
1: It looks like a lightsaber. It's not a lightsaber, but it's really cool and I want one. Yeah. And then the uh, lightsaber companies like uh, Parksaber.com. They're not really lightsabers, but they do produce light.
0: No, they're using RGB lights
1: and the like LEDs. Yeah, a plastic stick that you light up or something like that. It's still cool. I would love to have one.
0: They are impressive that they can withstand, you know, like a beating and a little bit of a cosplay lightsaber blade match at an event. You know, you could actually show off your stunts. Yes. Use those blades and they can withstand a beating.
1: Yes. I remember when Star Wars came out. (laughs) I don't. Oh, I'm sorry. I I was young. I was like in second grade, maybe third grade. But we had never seen anything like that. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. These guys are holding, and no one knew how they did the special effect. No one. I mean, they're holding a light beam, and they're whacking off someone else's light beam. And it's going. Right. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we were literally in awe. Now today it's like, yeah, whatever. And you watch Star Wars, like, oh, that's so stupid. How about horrible <laughs> special effects Can you get, man? That's a lame. And it was, I mean, mouths hanging open, eyes wide, not knowing what you're seeing and not even believing what you're seeing. That was the effect of the first time anyone saw a lightsaber.
0: Totally, amazingly cool. Do you know who named them? Who? It wasn't George Lucas. He was going to call them laser swords. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Laser swords. And, And Alec Guinness thought that that was pretty lame. And when he was reviewing the script with George, he said, you can't call them laser swords. George is like, well, that's what they're called. <laughs> and then Obi-Wan Kenobi told Luke Skywalker that it was a lightsaber, his dad's lightsaber oh. that he was giving him.
1: Wow. Yeah. Alec Guinness. Well, just like in early drafts, Luke Skywalker was Luke's Starkiller. He <laughs> said, nah, that doesn't cut. He's, He's terrible. Skywalker. Wow. Skywalker. What? What's a Skywalker? This is, oh, man. Kind of like a Carter I cannot tell you what my, what my little third grade or second grade brain was doing sitting there watching Star Wars in the Southampton movie theater on the, the big old-fashioned movie screen. They took that one theater and divided it into five later on. They put a line down the middle, which meant the big circular thing on the top of the ceiling was in two halves, and then they took the balcony and put a screen in front, in front of the balcony and divide that into two theaters of tiny little theaters with a screen right in front of your nose. And then they took the stage and put a, a, another theater on the stage. <laughs> so one movie theater became five. <laughs> amazing.
0: It's amazing how much that film has influenced everything. We probably wouldn't be talking about lasers tonight if it wasn't for that film.
1: Uh, well, we might be. I mean, they were invented in 1960 and, you know, we... They have become you know, basically ruling our world now. So, you know.
0: Well, they are pretty fascinating. Just not, they wouldn't be as exciting in the conscious mind, you know, the general populace thinking, ooh, lasers.
1: Probably true. Probably true. Because in general, people have the idea you can put a laser on a hilt and use it as a sword. Yeah. And make a laser sword. Mm-hmm. And it's just a cool idea. Laser tag, anybody? Oh, yeah. Laser tag. That's right. Now, it's not really laser. It's just really infrared light.
0: Oh... Really, that's yeah. too bad.
1: And infrared sensors, yeah. And, but it I means it's, it's focused. It goes through a lens.
0: Infrared tag doesn't sound the same.
1: Maser tag sounds like you're gonna fry someone.
0: <laughs> <gonna laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got my maser box out in the garage.
1: No, but actually, maser tag and microwave. I mean, microwaves and red light are not too far apart. Interesting. So, huh. That was cool. Thanks for the conversation.
0: Yeah, it's super. So thanks everybody for joining us on this quest. If you found this episode interesting, please consider sharing it with your friends and family that love lasers. And if you want to dig deeper into the subject, you can find cool stuff that Rob put together for the show notes with this episode. They're available at our website, nightowl.fm slash equinox slash 58. The show notes are also with this episode if you subscribe to the show in an app on your phone. Biblical Genetics is also available on Facebook and YouTube where you can watch the videos and join in the discussions with Rob and the other viewers. And if you want to find me, I'm at JCS Darnell on Twitter, and you can take a listen to my other podcast, Hi-Fi, which is available at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi. Until next time, goodbye, Rob. Goodbye, Joe. You've been listening to Equinox.
1: Once again, I thought this was going to be like 10 seconds long and we'd be finished.
0: (laughs) No, 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 no. If you're going to talk about a thousand varieties of apples, it's going to take a few minutes. Yes. The lasers are just awesome, man. Do we really refer to the equipment as stuff like laser cannons or laser guns? Is there a really boring term that the scientists and the engineers use instead of the cool ones like cannons or guns? No. Okay.
1: They just call them lasers. Laser gun would just be a, a powerful laser. Okay. Laser cannon would just be a powerful laser. Okay. It's just all, you just literally, it goes, that's what it does. You, you heard oh. that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes no sound. The, it's sort of like
0: <laughs> cars these days. You have to add sound back because they're so quiet. so that we know that something happened.
1: That's so lame. We need to add sound back to our lasers. You don't want to sound like one of those Hondas that's all hot rodding us. It's like, oh, that sounds so bad, man. Stop that. It does. I mean, man, when I was young, the cars went vroom. That's right. That sounds so good. Why don't they sound like that today? If you could
0: fake that sound, why wouldn't you fake that sound? If you could be Batman, always be Batman.
1: Exactly. Well, I don't think think they fake the whiny Honda high-pitched sound. I think the the like what was it the Tesla that has the sound pumped in or some other fancy supercar I don't know oh there's what, several of one. them. I forget but but it probably it probably a deep not a
0: <laughs> <laughs> no most of the car companies do it now uh, and but why you would choose a lame sound is beyond me the reason they have to do it is actually by law because you know if uh, pedestrians can't hear the car did it ever sh- you know is it actually driving by you know they they have to have awareness oh. auditory awareness.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, first time I ever saw a, a a Prius back in I don't know late '90s. No, it was, it was 2004-ish. I remember all I heard was the, the the tires rolling on the gravel on the on the parking lot, and it was so quiet. I was like that could have run me over, and I wouldn't even. But yeah, you had to reach around your ears. I hear something. It's not going vroom, but y- you get used to cars being a lot quieter.
0: Yeah, in the late '90s, I was riding my bikes in the neighborhood. I was going downhill on the street and I get down, goes down and it slopes off and it becomes level. And I start slowing down out ahead of me, extended the shadow that a car was casting from behind me out in front of me. I looked over my shoulder and the car was not very far behind me. And it was like a Buick or something, some old school luxury car. And it was virtually silent And I mean, I had nothing on my ears, and I could not tell that that car was there. That woke me up to it. I was nervous after that, riding my bike. But they have gotten a lot better than they were then. Cool. Good show.